all hell the documenteers king of the documentary theme podcast what is dead will never die words are wind welcome to the documenteers podcast i'm your often host bob sham and you're listening to a fun loving podcast where each week myself and a friend discuss and break down a different documentary it ain't that serious except when it is but it mostly ain't i figure the title of this documentary that we're discussing today just might lend itself to some new listener engagement if that is you then hello welcome Sorry about the audio quality of the earlier episodes, but for the here and now, my wife and beloved co-host Angela and I discuss a documentary about the making of the last season of one of the biggest television shows of all time. It's fair to call it a phenomenon. We're talking about Jeannie Finlay's HBO original film, Game of Thrones, The Last Watch, and you better believe that there are spoilers for the last season of Game of Thrones. I know it's been a couple of months at this point, but if you're just now grinding through it and you're just a... At season four, then maybe come back to us when you're done. There are also book spoilers as well, and that has some differences from the show. But if you're reading the Song of Ice and Fire series, then I just want to give you a heads up. We also, as always, spoil the documentary itself. So if that throws you off, then I think you might be missing the fundamental nature of this podcast. Next week on the show, our sports nerd pal Drew steps up to the mic with me to take down another 30 for 30 film, and it's quite a prolific story. The biggest sporting moment in South Africa. We don't know shit about rugby, but maybe you don't need to. If for some reason you've never heard of Nelson Mandela, but I think this story is probably going to surprise and move you. Probably will if you know who he is as well. We talked about Clifford Festel's 30 for 30 film about the 1995 South African Springboks rugby team. It's called The 16th Man, and it just might unite your heart. That's next week, right here on The Documenteers. Show clip credits are easy this week. We get a couple of variations of the Game of Thrones theme, which is originally composed by Ramin Jawadi. We hear brief clips and underlays of that, and it's pretty amazing how iconic that theme has become, but that's pretty much it for music clips. Let's get into this behind-the-scenes documentary of Game of Thrones The Last Watch. Documentariespodcast.com for all that ails you. Sorry we don't post more original articles. This show takes a lot of time and makes zero money, but I definitely do want to get to that. That doesn't mean I want to take your money just yet. Put your wallet back. Hang on to that. If you really want to help me out, then rate and review us very highly on your favorite podcast player, especially rate us on Apple Podcasts, which is, I think, still the biggest game in town for podcast directories. Shit, if you downloaded a lot of podcast apps and just went through rating and reviewing on all of them, then that would make you the coolest person on the planet. And I might have to figure out something for you. At least do a little dance. More on that later. Into this episode, Valar Morghulis, I think, and keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel.
think about pop culture in general in general describe all of pop culture in one sentence pop culture is whatever is the most popular in the culture a pretty accurate description <laughs> <laughs> we're getting a little older you know yeah, in yeah. our ages i feel like my views on pop culture are changing and i think doing a podcast about documentaries helps in the sense that we are analyzing and reviewing, and it's sometimes it's a joke, like in the shorties episodes often, but I feel like we're getting better at that. Yeah. And I feel what the things that I'm interested in are changing uh, quite a bit. Take uh, the Star Wars movies, for example. Mm. Now, when mm -hmm. I was a child, I loved those uh, like any kid did. Yes. Uh, when those prequels came out, I was on the older side, so it wasn't connecting with me but there are a lot of adults now who grew up with those and and the new yeah. these new movies it seems to me like overall that they're fine yeah they're fine but i'm just kind of generally bored i feel like i'm bored in general of most of my childhood mm -hmm. and i feel like there's so much out there that's getting like thrown in our faces but these books what we're talking about today is based on some books that i read well into my adulthood like two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. After getting into this show. Yeah. I feel like this is one of the few things where, like, I feel like I'm at the front of my nerdiness about. Sure, because it's fresh. It's a lot fresher. It's for adults. Something so big that is for adults. That's actually kind of not that common these days. That's true. Star Wars, the idea of Star Wars. I mean, it's often said that Star Wars... Is more for kids. Mm -hmm. And it should be, but Star Wars kind of fucks up at getting that right sometimes. Yeah. Especially when you choose to tell the story of a guy who grows grows up to murder an entire Jedi Council, including children. Mm -hmm. And you expect to be sympathetic with this character all the way through. But, uh, but this one is for grown-ups, and I love it. I love it that it's for grown-ups. I love that there's so much murder and <laughs> intrigue and death in this and show. And incest and incest extra incest multiple layers of incest let's think of all the incest moments there's implications with the targaryens that are lineage of incest jamie and cersei incest yep jamie and i'm sorry cersei and her cousin remember that uh that wildling dude that they had to negotiate with that fucked oh, all, all his, his daughters, daughters. Yeah, because that was uh, That's Gilly. Where Gilly came yeah. from. Yeah. If you guys haven't picked up on it yet, we're talking Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. It's been. Game of Thrones has been done for about almost two months at this point. We've all had time to process this last season. This last episode, look, I go in and out of the internet like everyone else. 
I feel like there's a lot of opinions on this last season. I don't know. I'm trying not to (laughs) go on a trip because I didn't think it was that bad at all. As someone who did read the books, I recognize when the books ended and how things changed in terms of dialogue and pacing. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately, if George R. R. Martin ever finishes his last book, that that will just be my ending pretty much. But as far as like closing out this show that we've been obsessed with, that a lot of people we know are obsessed with, Mm -hmm. this is a show that most everyone I know, I can think of like maybe one or two or three people that have not, that don't watch Game of Thrones or haven't. If you haven't, though, at this point, I feel like there's an attitude of if you didn't already watch it, you're probably not going to. And I don't know why. I think it just feels daunting to people. But I would say if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Game of Thrones, you should watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time. It's really good. I didn't read the books. Bobby read the books. I did not. Sometimes he read parts of it to me because that's like an awesome thing that Bobby does sometimes as he reads books to me. She doesn't know how to read. (laughs) So it's like, I don't have a choice. That's why I didn't read the books. I wasn't going to say that. Because it's a little bit embarrassing that I'm a 39-year-old woman who doesn't know how to read. It's a more common problem than we realize. So if anyone's listening who doesn't know how to read, we are not, we're not shaming you. No. And, and, and there's programs. You can get help to learn to read at any age. But I just watch the TV show. And what are your thoughts overall? You take in, let's go with the last season. Without going into too much details, because the internet exists. We've all poured over the details. We don't need to go and this hair splittingness of it. What what all did you think about the last season? Overall, I I was very excited for it to start. Everyone was. I was very excited. And then somewhere in the first episode of season eight, I remembered that I'm watching Game of Thrones. And that while it is an amazing, wonderful, epic, dramatic roller coaster of a television show, it is not a happy show to watch this was a very sad season there were a lot of endings i feel like people were forgetting that in their criticisms yeah like i feel like a lot of criticisms were people like not getting what they wanted now you can argue how well it was executed i think there's some fair criticisms there we knew from the very beginning as soon as we lost papa stark that this ain't gonna be the kind of show that you're gonna be happy at the end Mm -hmm. it's just not gonna happen and so all that being said i Think that it ended in the only way it really could. Yeah. I didn't love the way it ended, but I wasn't supposed to love the way that it ended. It's just the way it ended. You know, like nobody really won. They talk about that in the show. The way that they talk about it in the show is, I believe it's Tyrion talking about how it's the best compromise that you can come to. Like what the, the way the show ends up, the decisions that are made. It's the only way... To end it because not everyone is happy, but not everyone is completely sad. Yeah. Like it's like a middle ground with all of it. And I thought it was really appropriate. You are, you're either very sad or you're in the middle. You're melancholy with this show. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about the show. The Red Wedding, the killing of Stark. For me, the first few seasons are some amazing television in my eyes. Yes. The first season actually lines up with the book very well. You, you're practically reading the script. I felt like maybe there was some some layers of characters that we've seen kind of faded at the mm-hmm. end, but they really were forced to push to some action and some conclusions here. I called that John was going to have to kill Danny somehow. 
Oh, I, yeah. I predicted John would lop her head off and then jump on a dragon, and the dragons would be like, all right, you're our buddy now since he's Targaryen blood, right? You're going to be like spoilers all day at the beginning of this episode, right? Absolutely. Cool, 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 cool. And, but, <laughs> and in the end, to resolve that, it's so funny because Grey Worm fucks off to the Reach. Yeah. Right? So they're like just hanging there. That Their tribe will be there. Well, they can't reproduce. They'll they eventually just die. Yeah, they'll just all die off in the reach. And when they sent John to the to the to the wall again, yeah, I laughed out loud. To me, it was so funny, and I actually really like the fact that Bran is the king. It's an actual good choice to me because where was that character going? You know, but couldn't he see that he was going to be king? I imagine that this is the outline that Martin gave. You know, we. As much as things seem to be floundering, these parts, I have no doubt that Martin was like, this is what I was going to do. You know, that scene was very interesting, the scene where that they made Bran the king, because there were actually some legit funny moments in that scene when What's-His-Face tried to stand up and say, I volunteer to be the king. Oh, and everybody and- was like, Sansa was like, um, sit your ass back down. But then Sam was like, democracy. And everybody <laughs> laughed in his face. So it was kind of... I feel like a tiny bit of brevity. That scene, of course, was one of two scenes in the season where a coffee <laughs> cup was on a table. I think it was like, no, there, yeah, there was a coffee cup in a scene with Danny. And then I think there were three different water bottles at the feet of people in that like tribunal scene. There's, they should like recut it to where like products are just shoved throughout it. Like, oh God, I'm sure someone's done that on the internet. During the Battle of Winterfell, like all the White Walkers are just pouring over like a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> It's got like the Siemens company logo on the side of the castle or something. I don't know. <laughs> it is kind of funny that they left their Starbucks on the table. Or we know where they get the coffee. We've met the food truck, right? Well, it's not Starbucks, so. We haven't even really talked about. We're just talking about Game of Thrones. Yeah. We're really just talking about. Look, we watched Game of Thrones The Last Watch, which is the making of the last season. By Jeannie Finlay. And listen, you really shouldn't, first of all, listen to this episode or watch this documentary if you do plan on watching Game of Thrones because yeah. you'll know how it ends. I think you should real quick watch Game of Thrones. This is a click grab for Game of Thrones fans. I mean, no doubt about yeah. it. How convenient. Maybe this should be a bonus episode, <laughs> like a Friday. <laughs> hey, kids, we're talking Game of Thrones. I really need to fill out July. So. No, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a great episode anyway. No, I I actually didn't know what this documentary was. I mean, I knew it was about Game of Thrones, but I didn't realize that it was like the making of the final season. I really didn't think about it too much. I just knew, oh, it's Game of Thrones. Yes, I want to watch it. It's really amazing how they go from pre-production before this last season, talking to all these people behind the scenes, all the way through final day of shooting. It's emotional. Yeah. And they made a really interesting choice to focus on, you meet a lot of people, but they focused on like five or six really important people in a- this world. Aspects of production. Yeah, but not main actors at all. Like you see, you know, Kit Harrington talking a little bit. You see Amelia Clark talking a little bit, but mostly to her hairdresser, which was amazing because there's like a unique relationship that happens there. But the people that we meet are people that you would never have known. And it's just really cool to see like these six stories and then times that by a thousand. I tell you what I didn't want this to be. And it wasn't that. And I'm very happy this wasn't that. 
that this is constantly in the faces of the actors we know. They're constantly reiterating their emotions and how they feel about everything. Yeah. I didn't want this to be stuck in the face of uh, the writer, producers, D.B. Weiss, and I think that's their name, and David Benioff. I might... Do I have those names right? I might be getting I don't know. shows confused. But the writers, the, the head writers of the last two seasons, because... I don't know. I feel like we've seen them talk in so many other formats that I just don't want to see their lips flap anymore. I think they're going to go off to do the next Star Wars trilogy and shit. Mm. I think they're involved in that shit, which I'm beyond caring about that. I kind of feel like they might be a little creatively overrated in terms of how you saw things transition beyond the books. Because the books, I could tell made such a big difference to how these characters were represented. And we learned in this movie that there's so many people involved that are just straight up fans from books to show and everything in between. Yeah, just ended up on this show. Maybe not even from the beginning, but like it's their dream come true to work here and now they are. I will say those writer guys, we see them a lot in the little mini sort of talk documentary situations they do at the end of each episode. Listen, I hate those. Yeah. They're okay, but just this is nothing like that. This Ooh. is its own a really good documentary of this situation. It's not it's not those talking heads. There's actually no talking heads. No. Which is no one of the best up. things about this. It's all just like in the moment. When I say you talk to these people, you don't talk to them. You hear them interacting with folks. Super sidebar because I just have to say it. I don't know which one of them it is, but one of those writers that always does those little bits at the end of the shows, always called Cersei Circe. <laughs> and you know what? He can go fuck himself because that's not her name. No one calls her that. No one ever has called her that. I think that he wanted her to her name to be pronounced that way from the beginning, and he didn't get his way, and he can't back the fuck off of it. <laughs> but, Goodbye. But that like, name, <laughs> doesn't that name tie into like Greek mythology? You know, the, it, not the way it's spelled because Brian and I actually looked it up because we were having this exact same conversation because I was complaining about everyone that Everyone calls her Cersei. Everyone calls her Cersei. Her name in the show is Cersei. So call her Cersei. You know, one of those guys was like, is like the son of like a Wall Street executive. I it's probably shit. the Cersei guy. Yeah. I'm just going to say. <laughs> they're, they're just like propped people. And what I love about this documentary is that it's mostly not about the propped people. It's actually about the people who are doing the gritty long hours behind the scenes. And they are every bit as important. When you do see shots of like Maisie Williams or Kit Harrington, speaking of Cersei, we don't see her or Jamie speak. They see they seem to be off on other sets, perhaps, while this documentary is being filmed. We don't see yeah. every actor. But when you see people like Jorah, you're not always up in their faces. They're like a part of a unit of people getting ready to do these scenes. Yeah, you might hear the director talking to Sansa before her scene, but it's not. It's just because it's what's happening. This actually seemed to be a very small documentary crew in that what you're saying, like they weren't in multiple locations at the same time. They kind of followed along as this was happening. And if there were multiple things happening, they weren't there. The use of space was really well done in this documentary. Especially for something that's just straight up about the production, the behind the scenes production of a TV show. And there is an aspect of documentaries that is about filmmaking or TV show making. There's a lot of that stuff. This one's pretty straightforward, but I was kind of surprised at how much I ended up liking it. I actually really, really liked it. We meet, do you want to talk about the people a little bit? Well, I just want to say that there's so much merchandise, on set merchandise, like 
production jackets and uh there's the coolest stuff it opens up on a tapestry that shows like the history of events that occur in game of thrones beautiful embroidered tapestry it was gorgeous there's like a night king cake there's like uh, a production jacket that says the North remembers on it. On the executive producer's desk, there is a snow globe with one of the trees. The uh, the weir weirwood, weirwood trees. Yeah. P.S. They show the guy who always dresses the tree, and he's done it in every season. And they're interviewing him, and he's like putting the red leaves up onto the white tree. And they asked him about the tree, like what's the history of the tree, and he's like, um, I don't know. It's like an old tree. It's- like it's so funny sometimes how they. Like, some people are so into it. There's other people who are like, this my job. You know? Like, it's just interesting, the levels. It's so weird when you say P.S. Because <laughs> P.S. signifies that you're saying one last thing yeah. in a document. Not But you'll it. say P.S. and then talk for 40 minutes. I think it's like a sidebar for me. It's very strange. I honestly, I'm on the fence on how I feel about it personally, but I, I would never tell you what to say. But I can edit you out. <laughs> Whatever. You'll tell me what to say when we're done recording. You'd be like, don't do that shit. No more. Listen, it's like my mom used to answer the phone. Literally, the phone would ring and she'd pick. Or, or No, I'm sorry. She'd be on the phone and you would say anything to her. You could be like, how is it today? And she'd be like, no, it's. And she would just start sentences with no. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. It doesn't matter. Bizarre. We go into a table read of this last season. We also get a clip of the season one table read. Oh my gosh, and babies. We, baby people, baby Aria. A lot of these actors are teenagers when they started, and Aria is like, what, 12, 13? Yeah, she was little. She looks tiny. Sansa was 13. In that last. I think so. Aria was like. When she hooks up with the Baratheon bastard in the last season. Yeah. And everyone was like weirded out by it. That's because in everyone's mind, Arya is still like three feet tall. Right. And is like, oh, I want to play at night. Dead on impression. Yeah. <laughs> but they go to the current table reader, at least the one before this past season, and they find out who fucking dies right then. Yeah, they're reading it to each other, learning in that moment how people die, who kills who. They read uh, Jorah's death. Jorah the Andal battles on. He has been slashed and stabbed, pummeled and pierced, but somehow he keeps fighting. Whites plunge their knives into him. He takes more punishment than Hodor took at the door, than Beric took in the Great Hall, and still somehow Jorah stands and defends his queen. Danny tries to rouse Jorah, but he is gone. Amelia's like, oh no. She is legit crying. And they read, Arya kills the Night King. Exterior, Godswood. The Night King walks with methodical, terrifying calm. He stops before Bran and raises his sword to strike. But something is hurtling toward him out of the darkness. Arya. She vaults off a pile of dead whites, leaps at the Night King, and she plunges the dagger up through the Night King's armor. And the Night King shatters. And then they read how Danny gets killed. Danny's eyes open suddenly as she draws a sharp breath. John's eyes open as well, already filling with tears. For a moment, neither moves, as if moving will make this real. We see John with his hand still on the hilt of the dagger he just lodged in Danny's heart. <laughs> John Snow kills Danny, and he was losing it. Yeah. It was very difficult for him to hear that. She was crying too, but I think she tried to smile it off. <laughs> but he was upset. So the the table scripts are read. 
And then they're shredded. Immediately shredded. You don't keep that shit. You meet a dude. Winter's coming, yeah. We see him a lot throughout the film. He's the snowman. I am the snowman. I love the snowman. And he's the guy who... He's the guy who blows winter all over the he, land. Winter's coming, yeah. <laughs> he is, yes, he is the head of snow. And snow... When that they, is his official title, Head of Snow. When they create, not meaning he's like the boss of Jon Snow. No. He makes snow, little prop snow, and it's only paper and water, tiny bits of paper and water. I don't think he makes it. I think he buys it, but he controls where it goes and he blows it out of a big he, blower. He, he'll blow winter up and down. And he has a bunch set. of men that he's, and ladies, I'm sure, that he's telling where to put the snow. Uh, the director that we see the most in this is David Nutter. Yeah, he directed seasons uh, three, four, and five. And then he had to take a break because he had some back issues. And uh, he came back for season eight. He had a few issues, anus transplant surgery. Be nice. That's not what they said. I like him too much. I don't want you to make that joke. I'm just being dumb. <laughs> okay. Why would anyone get a... I don't know. It was stupid. I'm sorry. We meet... The makeup folks or the people in charge of basically all the prosthetic work. Yeah. And so it's a couple actually. Like they put in a bid to get this job and they both got hired together. And she was more like, I think she said graphics and he was more like application. And so together they created, I mean, they're the ones responsible for all the crazy makeup jobs, all the white walkers, all these like death scenes, all the wounds that are happening. And you kind of get to know their whole little family because they, they're parents and they're going on set for months and months at a time having to leave their daughter. Like you don't think about that kind of thing either. Like all these families that are there. Yeah. There's a food truck. It seems like a yes. small food, food truck that feeds so many people. Two women run this truck. This guy walks up to the truck and the lady's like, what you doing today? And a guy goes, Jamie Lannister trousers. Jamie Lannister's trousers. Yeah. <laughs> this food truck is so integral. They go to all the sets, and there's one part towards the end where someone hands the director a coffee and says, it's not from the food truck. They aren't here today. And he literally looks at that coffee like it is shit. Yeah. <laughs> like made of shit. He's like, I'm not. I don't want this. I, am, I interpret it like he is dreading the fact that the energy he needs will not be there that day. Oh, because like something's missing. Because this food truck provides a consistency for him. And now he's worried because people are working like 20 hours here. You know, that's true. And he needs his people to be good. The food truck lady was like, at first I started to pack healthy shit, but everyone just wanted something to keep them going. Mm -hmm. So then you got like sugary shit and sodas and energy drinks. And she makes toasted sandwiches. Which they don't call paninis, but they're paninis. Toasties. Well, how will we toasty? Toasties. Toasties. Oh, they're in Belfast, by the way, Northern Ireland. Yes, that's where they have filmed most of the show. Of it the goes show. all over the world, but that's where most of the show has been filmed. In this film, we go to Iceland, Ireland, of course, uh, Spain, and North Korea. No, we don't. Okay. No, there there was a scene in uh, the volcano scene. <laughs> Is Danny just spooning relish into her face? I don't know what she's eating, and I want to know so bad. 
it's like she always has, while she's getting her hair done, a mason jar of like a yellow or green concoction. It could be some sort of like chia mixture. I don't know. But like, what is it? It's all those parents that named your child Daenerys. I just want to say, ha ha. Oh, yeah. They're fucking freaking out right now. You should have seen this one coming. Or maybe you don't care. You could still be on her side. She burns King Land- King's Landing. We should all know this. Let's not now. be on her side. She had a chance. She made a decision. We meet. I feel bad because I didn't catch his name. This is a we are. A, this is a watch and talk episode. Yeah, we, yeah. There's no space in between. We went straight to the studio. But we meet the fight choreographer. He's this dude from Czechoslovakia. But he also plays the Night King. Yes. And watching this guy interact, we see this scene in the Weirwoods where he. Theon's defending Bran and tr- making sure the Night King won't get in there. Mm-hmm. Also, let me nerd out real quick sure, here. Sure, sure. The people who were defending Bran at the Weirwood during the Battle of Winterfell were Ironborn from the, yeah. the Krakens from the islands. Theon, they all had bows and arrows. Uh-huh. Theon, we see him training on bows and arrows when we first meet him in season one. Yeah. That's because he was raised by Starks and he made it a point to be good at that but throughout but that establishes that because it shows how being raised in that environment made him different from the other krakens because the krakens think the bow and arrow the the ironborn think the bow and arrow is a pussy weapon yeah yeah they prefer to get like up in your face and slit your throat so this i remember watching that scene and being like the ironborn they don't mess with bow and arrows only theon would that actually stood out to me, so my my butt hurt for a moment uh, during during that part. You're a fucking nerd. nerd. You're a fucking nerd. Do you think that the only reason they would do that is because those bows and arrows were made out of dragon glass? I would assume so. They, they didn't weren't. have to get close in order to kill them. That was the only way to like kill them from a distance that would kill them. Kill them. I see what you're saying. They also had dragon glass swords. But also, Word. then you'd want to get actual archers in there, I suppose, right? You're a fucking nerd. I don't know. It just seemed like... Also, Theon, Theon wasn't he fighting with like a spear? It's a... it's a Yeah, he was. Yeah. Just so like a slip of continuity that seems very small, but that's just how I like focus it. It's cool. Things. It's totally cool. Look, even George R. R. Martin can't keep this shit straight. He's got a team of editors that's like... No, George, you can't do that because this happened over here, remember? Right. And George is like, oh, right, I'm going to the Jets game. And then he flies to watch the Jets play where people are like, you going to finish that book? And he gives them the finger because fuck you to those people. That's how he rolls. Right. Oh, let me go back to the Night King. I got sidetracked. Oh, yeah. Sorry. A P.S. Uh, <laughs> so we see the we see, dude, he's not a traditional actor, but actually he is good at teaching people how to physically act so fighting yeah yeah and the night king never said anything but he was he did look menacing like in terms of body communication in the show he does talk about though that it's difficult yeah that the acting is difficult for him but he is he's from czechoslovakia he talks about he could have been a gangster or involved in theater or something and he seems everyone seems to like him and they like him enough they made him the fucking night king Mm -hmm. because obviously he's interesting but everyone seems to not know how to be around them. Mm-hmm. And you see the actors standing around them and they're like politely laughing with them. But it looks extremely awkward. You know, the only comfortable scene was the scene with the guy that plays Bran. 
Yeah. And I kind of feel like maybe that kid has the same sort of relationship on set because like he's just the weird one. Sure. A snowstorm blows through England. England? Uh, in Ireland. A big weather. Oh, yeah. Big snowy weather. The snow guy, the snowmaster. I am the snowman. He dumps snow on this area. And then they tell him after he does it, he's like, you got to relocate the snow. We're not going to do oh, it over that there. That sucked. So then you, you first meet the snow guy and you're like, that looks like so much fun. He just gets to blow this snow all over these sets. And he seems to be having a good time. But when they say you got to relocate the snow, mm. then a bunch of people have to shovel this shit into bags, wet paper essentially, and carry it to the next set or, or setting that they're going to. And Sutton, it's that moment where this job seemed like extremely hard. Yeah. Like suddenly became labor intensive. Like you're shoveling dirt, essentially. Wet paper in a, in a huge amounts is not like just a light nothing thing. True. We haven't talked yet about our extra buddy. Right. Andy McLeod is his name. This guy, he's sort of the star of this documentary. Sort of, yeah. He's like, he's not even really an extra. I mean, he's technically an extra. But he's been involved. He's played a Stark soldier. And they don't I call them extras, right? What do they call them? He gets screen time. Very yeah. fleeting. But he's apparently played a Stark soldier in every season. Yeah, he's been there the whole time. At one point, one of the makeup ladies finds his original shots. Because, you know, they do their makeup. They take pictures of everybody. Because you need to know what they look like. So you can redo the same thing if you have to do the scene over or continue it. Right. And so she finds his very first shots of his very first makeup and how she actually coached him. She shows a couple of shots of how like he didn't look like he didn't look right in the first few. Yeah. And she was like, if you make faces like that, they're not going to call you back or you're not going to get screen time. And so she like coached him into making like better faces. Yeah. And he's gotten asked back every time. He's one of those kind of people who you can tell every single person that works with him, costumes, makeup. Wranglers, they all love him because he is great to be around. He has such a good attitude. He just wants to be there. And he's kind of jokey, but not to the point where it's annoying. You know what I mean? Like he jokes around with them, but he's going to still get the job done. He's a fun guy and he loves what he's doing. Yeah. And that's why you get called back over and over again. Or that's why, you know, you get put in the front and you get your face on the screen in a fucking battle. He almost by... Just based on his experience on the show is essentially like the leader of the extras in the scenes that he's in. One of the other extras says that to him at the end. And it was a very sweet moment where one of the other extras went up to him and was like, You did a great job here, dude. Also for the extras, you know that, like, cause you gave us all a bit of direction, you know that. You did a great job. And just so you know, like, you also were like a leader for us. Like, you yeah. really helped us know what to do. And he's a good actor. And the and the name actors, especially those who played Starks and shit, mm -hmm. they know who this guy is. Yeah. And Kit Harrington, like, converses with this dude. Mm -hmm. We do the scene at the Battle of Winterfell where Jorah dies. And then we get the, the Night King death. It was kind of cool how they showed Arya do that, where mm -hmm. she's on wires. And dude's got her by the throat. That's what I wrote Krakens with bows in my notes. One of the things that was so cool in all of these scenes is what you don't see on the edges of the shots. You know, like people just standing there in their tank tops with their radios, like just right next to the people that you're actually watching on the screen. A lot of white walkers looking at their cell phones. Yeah, people with like... And eating uh, rice. Yeah. 
<laughs> Wildlings on cell phones too. There was a lot of people on cell phones that would never have had cell phones. Do you want to talk about the city? They had to build the city to destroy. Oh, yeah. Because where they normally film, they, hello, they're not going to let them destroy their city. They build this in Spain. The fans, when they see Kit Harrington, they go, Keith! Keith! So that became his nickname. And the Night King is smoking by, like, away from these fans. Yeah, yeah. And then he decides to go down. He's not in his makeup, but he's like, do you know who I am? I would like to see if they recognize who I am, you know? <laughs> I you know who I am. Yeah! He's not a front of the camera guy usually. Yeah. So he got to be like this celebrity for a brief moment. He and like he, took all kinds of videos. And you could tell that he really fucking loved it. Because he knew like once it's over, it's pretty much over. Like he's going to have obviously a great career forever doing what he does, but he's probably not going to be on the screen. I mean, he could be. He did a good job as the Night King, but you never, you know, that's not really, he doesn't have any sort of um, illusions of grandeur. But like you said, they built, they built King's Landing. Yeah. I just want to talk about this for a minute because this is the kind of stuff that's the coolest thing in the fucking world to me. So they're showing like the actual place where they, where they usually film. And obviously they're not going to be able to like, destroy this entire city with a dragon coming through yeah they, so, they're not allowed to destroy the town of seville spain right so they have to build a city yeah so they build this city it takes them seven months to build this city if we have a lot ever get like a lot of land this probably worked better out west i'd love to have like a, a small strip of a western town built that would be so cool and then just go hang out there Oh my god! Like yeah. you would have done for like an old old school western. These structures aren't made to last, but no, she like knocks the lady who's kind of in charge of the whole thing like knocks on one of the walls at one point, and you can tell it's like hollow, but it looks so good. And it, there's this moment where they go through the city and they're just filming the empty city before anyone gets there, and it's this really cool moment where she's talking about like how that's her favorite time. It's when everything's done and everything's dressed and it's like the hour before the actors come in. And then kind of fast forward a little bit, the actors come in. They're filming these scenes, right? They're talking to the extras about what they're going to do when the dragon comes and all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh God, now it's going to go. Yeah. Like they filmed for two days beforehand. Andy walks into the scene real quick with a fun fact. Do you know what club sandwich means? Do you know what club sandwich means? Chicken and lettuce under bacon. That's what that is. I didn't know that. It's an acronym. Yeah. Club is an acronym that means chicken lettuce under chicken and lettuce under bacon. Never knew that in my life. I never knew that. But I'm gonna tell everyone now. So every time you see a club sandwich, I think nowadays or where we're from, they're turkey clubs. It's turkey, ham. There is bacon and lettuce and shit. Yeah. But that, yeah, I never knew that that's what that meant. I just thought club was just like, I don't know, just a word they just threw in there, like club crap. I basically just thought it meant like some meat and some bacon. But yeah, so fun fact. We have not verified that fact. But I'm assuming the ladies at the truck told him, so I'm going to say it's true. So they set up a lot. Uh, and remember, King's Landing burns in uh, the second to last episode of the Game of Thrones. Yep. You know, it was really funny when... You knew Danny was going to turn Daenerys. 
I call her Danny because we're such good friends. Sure, sure. There's a point where her eye makeup looked a lot darker. Mm-hmm. Like like she or her eyes look more sunken. It was just very funny, like a little on the nose, like turn, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the she's going to be the Mad Queen. We get it. They made a point in this documentary that I actually hadn't thought that much about in watching the show. That when Jorah dies, that's a huge moment in how the rest of the show plays out for her. Yeah, because. You know, she had all these advisors, but, like, he was her guy. Yeah. And in the end, when she didn't trust anyone, he would have been the one that she knew she could have trusted. And he would have told her to get off that goddamn dragon. It wouldn't have gone down that way. But also, he had to die the way he had to die, and everything had to happen the way it had to happen, because high couldn't be a happy ending. But I just thought it was interesting, like, it was just something I hadn't thought about that was sort of a gigantic moment, instead of just a sad one. Her father, King Eris, they killed him basically because he essentially was going to destroy King's Landing. Because all that wildfire, the barrels of the wildfire under the yeah. city where they stored, he was going to light all that shit up and just blow King's Landing up. So Jamie killed him. And so Jamie killed him. So it's just funny that his daughter would eventually come around and do exactly what he was trying to do. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't occur to me either. I really actually... You want to rewatch it? The whole series? Like, maybe this winter. You know, I would actually like to sit through it all again. I would. I, um... Gosh, in the books, the cast is like double. Sure. You should read all the books. And then whenever you're <laughs> okay. done, then we'll do it. I do want to re- rewatch the series. I'm willing to um, let time go by a little longer. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of things I need to catch up on. We get the scene of Andy and John. This is the last shot Jon Snow does for all of Game of Thrones. The last thing he shot was the scene where he and his Stark guards come in behind him after King's Landing is burned and Grey Worm and the Unsullied are about to execute the Queen's Guard in mm-hmm. King's Landing. That was the last thing John shot. That was also the last scene that Andy McLeod was in because he played like an elite soldier, one of John's personal soldiers. Yeah, he had thought he was done, but then he and like seven other guys got called back so when to jo- do this scene. So when John questions the actions and then the Unsullied pull their spears on the Starks, like, you going to do something about it? And you see this dude going like, what the fuck is about to go down? Like trying to be prepared for anything. With like a foot long beard. Yeah, that's Andy. Yeah. And he's actually been all throughout this uh, series. And apparently you see his face at the Battle of Winterfell as well. Mm-hmm. He was a fun dude. Yeah, I liked him a lot. And after that sh- scene is shot, that's it. They actually shot the scene where Tyrion gives the the speech at the end. They shot that a few weeks back. Daenerys' death scene they shot like beforehand. This was it. So when it was done, it was very tearful. And mm-hmm. everybody's hugging each other. And I thought it was just so funny because they're all hugging each other in the ruins of King's Landing. They're yeah. all like, I love you, man. You did a great job. And there's props of like burnt women and children over here. Mm-hmm. There's blood splatters on the wall. Buildings are in rubble. And they're like so like thankful and happy to be together amidst this set of pure chaos in which we, when we all watched the episode, we were like, uh. That's when the cake comes out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And they're bragging on their uh, 
production jackets, which, God, give me a production jacket. Right. There was so much, like, production gear I just wanted to get my hands on. There was a really cool little, um, I guess it was like a statuette thing of the Night King that yeah. you, like, freaked out about a little bit. It, yeah, it looked really, almost like a claymation Night King. Yeah, it was really cool. Looked, and I don't even like it. And it said something like, we shall begin or something at the bottom. Now, the Night King looks cool, but, like, I never was that into the White Walkers. They're no. just like a force of nature. I was very happy when they were done within three episodes of the last season. You know, this is another thing that happened in this documentary that made me appreciate something more in the show. When our stuntman turned Night King was talking about when they asked him to play the part. It was so cool because he said, they came to me and said, will you be the Night King? And I didn't really hear Night. I just heard King. And I said, I can be whatever kind of king you want me to be. (laughs) And then he talked about the Night King for a minute. And he was like, you know, he just wants to be the king. But he's the Night King. They've made him into the Night King. And I think he's mad. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't want to be the Night King. He just wants to be the king. Yeah. But he can't. And And he he never will be. He did a fine job of being menacing. But like he never, I never understood why people were so enthralled with the Night King or the White Walkers, I guess he did look cool. But that was just kind of it, you know? You know, I don't even know that I was ever that enthralled with them, but in the first few seasons, they were like the big unknown bad. They were like the big bad that just was like hinted at. Until there was that one big scene where they fought the wildlings and you got to see that a group of them and you saw the Night King for the first time, which was he playing the Night King back then or just in this final season? As far as I know. But that was, you know, the first time you really got to see them. I just like the politics of Game of Thrones. Yeah. That's the best part. If it was all about riding on dragons, I wouldn't give two flying fucks about this shit. It's about the great actors, and this is going to be a controversial statement, but there's probably a reason why I feel this way. I feel like the worst actors in the show were uh, Kit Harington and Amelia Clark. <laughs> But I think that's because they got so much screen time that they were destined to have some mediocre scene. But the best actors were people like Tyrion is a great actor. He's amazing. Uh, I mean, that's not his real name. Peter no, Dinklage. Peter Dinklage is amazing. But like uh, Charles Dance, who played Tywin Lannister and people who played yeah. um, like the guy who played the Blackfish. All the old actors that have been in like British theater for like decades my heart is still broken for only getting half a season of sean bean you just such good people involved in a show there was like so much great acting that i feel like a lot of people don't talk about on the game of thrones and i know kid harrington so i know he's handsome he's a hero we i i know i just said he was one of the (laughs) worst actors on the show but like i'd still root for well okay you say worst worst of a fucking great cast yeah like it's not like he's bad you're not saying that you're you're, i don't know are you in the group of people who think that they didn't have chemistry together i think they had enough see so do i I actually thought he that uh kit played a good job of being weirded out yes when he found out that basically she was his aunt yes i kind of was like into that he's really good at like looking sad yeah and sometimes you got a little tired of that but you know what? Book John is also a sad bag fuck as well. So who you're like, why are you doing this, John? But, you know, mm-hmm. I guess, you know what? Everyone did a fine job. But I'm just saying there were a lot of people that did a great fucking job. Who would no you? No one talks about. Who's your favorite? 
Who do you best actor in Game of Thrones? If you're going to give best actor and best actress, <sighs> that's a big just uh, gut instinct. My brain goes to Charles Dance as Tywin. I love really, Tywin. and okay. I like Peter Dinklage a lot too. Yeah, I think a lot of people might think that comment's kind of overstated, but isn't that dude like from fucking New Jersey or something? I think I think so. Oh, you know who was great, and he actually retired from formal acting, is, um, God, the king boy that everyone hates. Why am I forgetting his name? Joffrey? Joffrey. Oh, yeah. he that owns kid a pup- was fucking amazing. He owns a puppeteer, traveling puppeteer company for children. That's like the most British thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> I know. And girls? Uh, as far as the ladies go, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Catelyn, Catelyn she Stark. She was great. I liked her pretty good. I really liked the 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 mother of flowers. What's her name? Elena. Oh, and Cersei. I thought Lena Headley did a great job as well. But you know, you just hated her most of the time. But that's just why she did a good job. Yeah. And the guy who played Jamie is like a Dutch dude. Yeah. Like he his he's got a totally he's totally playing like a British guy, like nailing it. This might just be me playing favorites, but I think the Onion Knight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is my favorite character. His arc is pretty amazing. He is one of the most heartfelt characters and honest people, I think, in that world when there's not a lot of honest people. Also, Peter Dinklage, because I just think he's brilliant. So, yeah, it's like, would you even know if Peter Dinklage was from fucking New Jersey if I didn't tell you? No, no. And that's, (laughs) that's this documentary, Game of Thrones, The Last Watch by... A lady. Jeannie Finlay. Yes, is a lady. And because the sisters are doing it for themselves. Hell yeah. In the GOT. Are Game you with of Thrones. Me? Are you with me? Yeah. In case you forgot. <laughs> Boy, I feel like we could talk for like three hours about this shit. Yeah. I'm trying to like pull myself back. I wish the show did have Lady Stoneheart, frankly, to see uh, the actress who plays... Catelyn, take it to that level would have been interesting. I know. When you told me about that character, I got so excited about the possibilities. (laughs) I also thought that there was a chance that Stannis was going to come back. In the show, the Blackfish, Catelyn's uncle, Mm -hmm. they call him the Blackfish because he's a Tully who never married and refused to. And their sigil is the fish. So he's like the black sheep, but fish. Yeah, he, uh, he gets killed off screen in the second to last season. Mm-hmm. But in the books, one of the last parts of what is written in the books is that scene. But he escapes. He jumps into the river and like they describe him swimming like a fucking fish mm-hmm. or like at least being really good at swimming. And so it implies that he actually gets away and Jamie kind of lets it happen because Jamie's made a character turn. Yeah. Just like he did in the show at this point. But Whatever. Uh, he flips around so many times. So I was like wanting the... I love the black, like, as far as deep cut fucking characters, like, I love that character, the Blackfish. The idea of him, his attitude, you see him so little, but his presence seems to speak volumes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I understand why they're not going to bring him back, but a big part of me just wanted to see the fucking Blackfish show up in the last season. That's just me fanning out and nerding up. You're a fucking nerd. nerd. You're a fucking we thought Stannis might come back because you don't actually see him get killed. Oh, hello. Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. She's fucking amazing. Yeah. 
I don't know. And Redbeard, what's his name? I don't know. Okay. Wildling Redbeard, uh, Wildling that Tormund. I'm absolutely in love with. Okay. <laughs> He's my favorite. But she kills him, but again, you don't see him actually die. You think she kills him. It appears as though she stabs him. Like, why would you think they're dead if you didn't see them die? Exactly. In a when show we like watch this. Stark Mother get like, like her throat cut and Rob's fiance like getting jabbed in the goddamn pregnant belly i know like if you don't see stannis get his head cut off why would you think he's dead exactly because maybe he shouldn't have been dead maybe but you know he well i mean he deserved to die but look that's just how you play the game of thrones you win or you die and uh what is a dad will never die fucking nerd angela we don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale we forcefully inject Werner Herzog into our rating system yes. by rating things in Herzogs. I'm going to give this one through five Herzogs. You're going to give this one through five Herzogs. Slap them together for best out of 10 Herzogs. As I stated, I like this so much more than I thought I would. Yeah. I loved how it spread things out. The things that I was worried it was going to do, it actually did a really good job of avoiding in a lot of ways, I probably enjoyed watching this more than a lot of the past last season of Game of Thrones. Though the Battle of Winterfell was fucking dope. It was good, but again, it's not like, quote unquote, enjoyable. <laughs> right. That's but, the whole thing. But this was like an aspect of Game of Thrones that is directly correlated to it that is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And it show all, and it did a good job of showing all the work that people had to do. Where the snowman's having fun at first, and then he's got to do some grunt work, and it looks like it fucking sucks. Yeah, how people are, their call is at like 8 p.m. and they don't get off until 6 a.m. And these shots of Belfast, the idea that there's this big, this big like studio set up there and you get distant shots of Belfast, it looks like a, like a medium-sized Wisconsin town. Yes. Like the way it looks, like it looks like there's definitely signs of life, but it doesn't look like some ginormous sprawl of a city by any means Mm -hmm. it's just kind of interesting and to think that a big uh studio that was shooting one of the biggest shows ever was just right there it's pretty fascinating i got a cousin-in-law who's from not far from belfast Mm -hmm. so shout out and uh (laughs) i think all in all i think this is a worthy 3.75 out of five herzogs you know what Honestly, I'm going to give it a four. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it a four because I wouldn't say this is full on perfection. I'm sure like a film about the production of a film could probably hit something that would like blow your mind. And I wouldn't say any of this blew your mind, but it really was like a very, a very down to earth look at what goes on to make this shit. Mm -hmm. And it's probably better than most documentaries about such subjects so i'm gonna give it four out of five herzogs i really really liked this i really liked that there were no interviews no talking heads you did hear the documentary film crew ask questions sometimes but it was only to get to understand the responses like there weren't there wasn't that like overarching presence but they obviously were sort of like a fly on the wall for all of these scenes I just really loved the way it focused in on these certain people. I loved so much getting to see the props being made, the makeup getting put on, the costume stuff. Like that's the most interesting things to me when they're building that city and they're kind of showing like progress through the months of putting it together. 
so so cool there's a part at the end where the lady who's in charge of getting all the getting all the scenes like coordinated like she's like the site coordinator she's like walking through winterfell and just like kind of saying goodbye to it yeah and it's just like these cool moments where it's so hard to wrap your mind around the fact that this like fantasy show that you watch is so rooted in actual reality and kind of like taking that veil away you couldn't have done this while the show was still going on i wouldn't have wanted to watch it that would be pretty stupid to put it out before. it would be pretty stupid but it, it, would, it you know you know what it would have been actually great just to see the internet fucking melt but some people do shit like not that you'd put this out before the final season but oh, like right, say right. you like did a making of season six you couldn't do that because then yeah because it like kind of strips that away seeing it after the fact it's so cool i kind of decided about three-fourths of the way through that I was giving this a four, so I know that I was going to give it a four before we started talking. Like you said, it's not perfect, but it's really, really good. And I would watch it again. It's one of the few things with the Game of Thrones label on it that will might make you smile. You know? Yeah, there were some really fun moments. And a, a nice thing to tide us over, a positive thing to tide us over before we're diluted with Game of Thrones spinoffs. Are we going to get Arya the Pirate Show? Uh, I think we're going to get a prequel to the a hundred years back when uh, the Targaryens took over. Mm-hmm. Martin wrote these short stories, two short stories about the, the tales of Sir Duncan the Tall and his squire egg. Right. They're Night of the Seven Kingdoms stories. That's what they call them. They'd make, each of them would make a nice little HBO movie. Think about it, HBO. Mm-hmm. I would actually love that. But yeah, uh, I'm. It, it's taken everything I got in my system to not just go like full fucking nerd. And I did it a couple of times with that whole ironborn don't use bow and arrows and my blackfish shit. We have our criticisms, but we're not haters. Nope. Unless it's a Morgan Spurlock movie, then I'm a straight up fucking hater. But this isn't that. We liked it. A total of 8 out of 10 Herzogs for Game of Thrones, The Last Watch. Valar Morghulis. Jacaris. Keep on docking. Testing, <laughs> testing, testing, testing. We watched a documentary. Testing, testing, testing. It was about the Game of Thrones. What is dead will never die. Winter came. On my tits. <laughs> Fuck you to those people. This American guy said to me, he said, Hey, hey, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? He said, how did the trouble start? Tell me, how did the trouble start? And I was like, well, mate, the troubles first started when Jamie Lannister pushed Bran Stark out a window. 